Straight Talk from Israel. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. You're listening to The Jay Shapiro Show. Hello again, this is Jay Shapiro. Thanks for listening. Of all the news that happened this week, one item stands out of really historical significance. Our Prime Minister, Bennett, arrived in the United Arab Emirates for a historic visit this week. It was important from a symbolic perspective, and also it showcased how Israel and the UAE can really relate to each other in these very difficult times. Bennett was received on Monday in Abu Dhabi by Crown Prince Mohammed bin Zayed, known as MBZ, and the sides described the talks as warm and engaging. According to the Prime Minister's office, Bennett said that he appreciated the hospitality and added that it was a splendid welcome. He noted he was very moved to be received by an official visit by an Israeli leader, and he expected to strengthen the network of relations between the two countries. The, the meeting was significant on several levels. First, there is the image that they convey. It shows Israel-UAE relations and demonstrating that they are moving forward smoothly. In my opinion, Bennett said, cooperation in the field of health and food security will constitute a major part of the mutual cooperation. There are unprecedented economic opportunities not only for Israel, but for more countries in the region, which is another element for enhancing stability and prosperity in this region. Their position now for Israel to be a really vital part of the Middle East, something we could not have imagined even five years ago. That is the biggest news this week. There are other things I'll discuss. I'll be back after the break. did a nice Jewish girl from Delaware end up living in Israel? Shalom! I'm Natalie Sapinski. Join me on my show, Returning Home. Meet different people who have moved to Israel. Hear their personal stories, their highs, their lows, and everything in between. Each week, we talk to experts on immigration and the process of moving to Israel. Listen to Returning Home every Thursday, only on Israel News Talk Radio. You're listening to The Jay Shapiro Show. Hello again, this is Jay Shapiro. 
You're back with Jay Shapiro. The Israeli government has put extremely tight restrictions on people coming to Israel during the COVID virus. This includes Jews from other countries. The chief rabbi of South Africa, Dr. Warren Goldstein, wrote an article about it, which I think is quite important. I want to share it with the listeners. He wrote that in banning Jews who are not Israeli citizens from entering the country, Prime Minister Naftali Bennett and his government are doing fundamental and lasting damage to Israel's very identity as a Jewish state. Of course, no government should endanger the health of its citizens, but there is a simple solution, which is to apply the same health and safety protocols required of Israeli citizens, even those returning from so-called red zones, nor a PCR test, vaccination, and quarantine. Israeli health officials evidently deem the health risk to be low enough, providing these conditions are met. If this were not the case, even citizens would be refused entering. So why then are Jews who are not citizens barred if they meet these same requirements? The virus does not distinguish between those who hold an Israeli passport and those who don't. By the Israeli government government discriminating between Israeli citizens and other Jews, they endanger the identity of Israel as a Jewish state. The state of Israel is not like any other, which only has a legal and moral duty for the welfare of its own citizens. In its heart and soul, it is a Jewish state. Israel is different. Israel is not like any other which only has a legal and moral duty for the welfare of its own citizens. The Jewish state, as seen by the Israel's founders, understood the deep significance of the idea, giving giving it expression in their drafting of the Declaration of Independence of the State of Israel. It says in our Declaration of Independence, the land of Israel was the birthplace of the Jewish people. Here their spiritual, religious, and political identity was shaped. Here they first attained to statehood, created cultural values of national and universal significance, and gave to the world the eternal book of books. Now, the founders of the state made this vision practical most powerfully through what's called the Law of Return of 1970, which grants any Jew on earth the right to move to Israel at any point receive Israeli citizenship. No other country has an equivalent law. The modern state of Israel is essentially the historic enterprise of reestablishing Jewish sovereignty in the land of Israel as an expression of the, the, the divine mission and birthright of every Jew. 
No Israeli government has the moral right to deny a fellow Jew entry into the land of Israel. Israel's reason for being is as a Jewish state, and its mandate is the entirety of the Jewish people, even those who are not its citizens. By imposing this discriminatory ban, the COVID ban, the Israeli government is acting as any other liberal Western democracy and not as a Jewish state. A Jewish state does not close its gates to fellow Jews, especially at a time of need. A Jewish state does not concurrently allow its contestants for an international beauty pageant while denying the relatives of its own people, causing heartbreak as families are separated from particularly their new immigrant relatives. A Jewish state does not deny entry entry to young Jews who are coming to study in Israel. A Jewish state does not turn away fellow Jews on Shabbat Eve, forcing them to desecrate Shabbat, which is what happened. A Jewish state would treat all Jews, whether they hold Israeli passports or not, with equal respect, equal dignity, and equal worth. And that is what makes these current regulations regarding the COVID virus as unacceptable. The very identity of the Jewish state is at stake. If Israel loses its identity as a Jewish state, it will lose its very reason for being. Indeed, if the state of Israel is just like any other country, if it's just another country that happens to be located in the Middle East, the question is, is it really worth fighting for? Is it worth all the blood that's been shed, all the suffering and sacrifice to maintain just another democracy in such a violent, hate-filled region? Only if Israel is seen as a Jewish state something enduring, something lofty, and something more noble than a a mere political enterprise, if it's seen as an expression of Jewish peoplehood and our historic destiny, if it's seen as a vehicle for the continuity of the Jewish people, for our divine values, and for our mission— Only then is the sacrifice justified. But if you ignore that sacred charge and denude Israel of its Jewish identity rooted in our divine heritage of hundreds of generations, then you erode the very foundation on which the state of Israel was established. If you do so, you negate the very feelings that brought Jews back to their ancestral homeland in their droves to live in this land and work the land and fight bravely for its existence. Without these eternal Jewish values, without this inviolable Jewish identity, The resolve of its citizens to fight to make Israel safe and successful 
and the impetus for diaspora Jews to make Aliyah and support Israel in every way becomes severely weakened. If Israel is not a Jewish state, then it calls into question the sustainability of the country and it calls into question its very reason for existence. The meaning of Israel and the purpose for which it was established will be lost, and that will be a tragedy of epic proportions. So what I've quoted up till now is by Warren Goldstein, Rabbi Warren Goldstein, the chief rabbi of South Africa, and essentially... The article appeared in a local paper, paper way way back on page uh, ten. It was the English uh, paper here in Israel. It is an article that should be the headline on page one. If indeed Israel maintain is to maintain as its identity as a Jewish state and not just another hot state in the Middle East, then they cannot impose the same COVID restrictions on Jews from anywhere else in the world. Uh, the The article by Rabbi Goldstein calls out the, um, the uh, idiocy that Israel has allowed women from all over the world to come to a beauty contest in a lot, whether they're Jewish or not during the COVID virus, but they're keeping Jews from and other countries from uh, entering Israel. And that is something that really is food for thought. Israel cannot treat the Jewish people outside of Israel as any in any way different Jews who live in Israel. The state of Israel was created as the state of the Jewish people after 2,000, more than 2,000 years of an, off, an often very bitter exile and diaspora. To, to keep Jews out of the state of Israel for any reason, is simply not right. And the fact, in, indeed, that the article that I came across is not a headline, that bothers me also. This, this is too important a, sub, a subject not to be the first thing you read when you open the newspaper. Israel takes in refugees. I remember back in the 1990s, they flew in thousands of Jews from Ethiopia on Shabbat because they were Jews who were in danger. COVID should not mean something other than that for the Jewish people. I'll be back after the break. Shalom, everybody. 
Making a difference often takes just one moment and one person at a time. I am Orly Benny Davis, your show host on Israel News Talk Radios from Jerusalem with love. You'll be hearing people talking about politics, religion, social issues, and making a better tomorrow. Join me, Orly Benny Davis, for God and Country. From Jerusalem with love. Wednesdays on Israel News Talk Radio. You're listening to The Jay Shapiro Show. Hello again, you're back with Jay Shapiro. I want to say something that's been apparently been under the headlines for quite a few years, and it's now it's come out into the open with really with a flourish. I'm talking about the relationship between Israel and Morocco. Two weeks ago, our defense minister went to Morocco and signed a military cooperation agreement between Morocco and Israel. To date, no other Arab state has publicly signed a military agreement with Israel. Even Egypt and Jordan, as well as other Arab states, have maintained security cooperation with Israel, but they do so clandestinely. Until the 1979 revolution in Turkey and Iran, but also uh, they maintain close military ties with Israel, that is Turkey and Iran, but always in secret. It was only after an agreement with Turkey was leaked to the media back in 1996 that Israeli-Turkish cooperation became public, but that ended in the early years of the 2000s under the new Turkish government. Israel's relations with Morocco, on the other hand, is long and multidimensional, consisting of diplomatic, intelligence, military, and civilian cooperation. While official ties were conducted in secret, The civilian ones were partly public and even expanded and deepened in recent years. Cooperation with Morocco, believe it or not, goes back to as far as the 1960s because there were shared threats. First, they were afraid of Gamal Abdel Nasser, the president of Egypt, who threatened everybody around him. Israel also helped Morocco against another shared enemy, and that is Algeria. Arranging the clandestine Jewish immigration from Morocco to Israel led to closer security ties. This cooperation was really led by the Mossad, Israel's secret service, that maintains ties with countries and with Israel does not have any diplomatic relations. Back in the 1970s, the king of Morocco, Hassan II, who was the father of the current king, mediated in secret between Israel, Egypt, Syria, and the PLO. 
Other than the mediations with Egypt that led to the Anwar Sadat's Jerusalem visit, uh, his other mediation efforts failed. But King Hassan was a mediator between Israel and the Arab countries. Now, Israel and Morocco, on the other hand, have, are not known to have cooperated in military affairs. Israel is known to have helped Morocco in the struggle against a um, movement uh, fighting for independence in Western Sahara. It's called the Polisario. But Israel's aid consisted most of advice in order to erect a security fence in the Sahara area, which Morocco took control. Now, one of our former prime ministers here of Israel, Ehud Barak, was one of the officers known to have visited the Sahara area. Israel lobbied the American Congress and administrations for years to advance recognition of Morocco's annexation of Sahara, but uh, nothing came of that. Unlike other Arab states, the long-term Moroccan relation with Israel was not only the result of shared interest, but it also stemmed from the role of Moroccan Jewry in Israel and the diaspora in general, especially in France. When, when the French left Morocco, uh, many of the Jews went to France. Morocco always prided itself uh, at the place of Jews and Judaism and Hebrew language in its tradition and history. Several years ago, before the coronavirus, I, uh, my wife and I and our family visited Morocco, and it was a very, very pleasant um, visit, and we saw many of the uh, portions of the Jewish heritage there. Now, Israel and Morocco first established relations back in 1995 after the signing of the Oslo Accords. But after the outbreak of the Second Intifada in 2000, all that ended. Again, relations were renewed following the Abraham Accords just within the last year. With the, the Accords are with the UAE and Bahrain. Uh, King Mohammed VI was persuaded to take this step, not only because of the Gulf precedent, but mostly because of U.S. reward. The United States recognized Moroccan control of Sahara as part of this, uh, part of this multinational agreement that also involved Israel. Now, the pace of normalization between Israel and Morocco uh, has been really very nice. Within a year, several diplomatic agreements are signed, bilateral working groups are formed, and several high-level visits were held, such as the visit of Foreign Minister Yair Lapid, Foreign Minister Director General Ushpiz. Many activities have also taken place in the civil society arena. In fact, normalization in this field actually preceded the official peace. If cooperation between people is the strongest indicator of a warm peace rather than a cold peace, 
then Israeli-Moroccan relations can be considered quite warm. Incidentally, the military agreement signed with Morocco is reminiscent of the agreement signed with Turkey 30 years ago. It includes exchange of security information, links between the defense industries, the significance of which is mostly the Moroccan acquisition of Israeli arms and equipment, and joint military exercises. Israel's interest in signing a public military agreement with Morocco is obvious because it's aimed at bolstering Israel's ties and Israel's standing in the Middle East in general. And also, these ties are essentially against Iran, which is important to all these countries. What's more, the Defense Ministry of Israel, which is in charge of the military and the military intelligence, appears to want to develop an independent relationship with security officials of Morocco without being dependent on other parts of the Israeli service, like the Mossad, which has always been the main conduit for relations between the two states. The agreement formally anchors the military cooperation. In contrast with Israeli obsession with with not um, with putting out and publicizing its clandestine relations, that question is what led the king to the decision. Given that Moscow could have continued maintaining a behind-the-scenes tie with Israel, one reason for the decision is Morocco's desire to deter its rich eastern neighbor Algeria that have, has for decades supported the rival group in uh, Morocco called Polisario. Another reason is the desire to expand a strategic dialogue relating to shared threats, including terrorism and Iran. And perhaps the most important of all, something new is on the scene. Morocco seeks to demonstrate primarily to the Biden administration, its commitment to the normalization process in order to ensure its implementation of former President Donald Trump's decision on the Sahara. Trump made a decision favorable to Morocco, and Morocco will do everything now to ensure that the Biden administrations follow suit. Now, there are pockets of resistance in Morocco against normalization with Israel, uh, all kind of organizations. And following the signing of the normalization agreement with Israel, there were protests in several cities of Morocco. So it's hard to know how strong these uh, groups are. But the bottom line is the Israeli-Morocco military agreement is an important achievement all the more so because Israel was not required to pay for it. One should not rush to conclusion about other areas and other states because Morocco was pretty much of a special case and could be that it remains so to this day. But the bottom line is that Morocco is a major Muslim country with Israel now has public ties 
including a military agreement. As I said, there were a lot of things that were done secretly for years, but now it's out on the table, and that's really good for Israel. And of course, it's also good for Morocco. I'll be back after the break. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. This is Shai Bentico, and each week I'll be webcasting to you from Judea, origin of the word Jew, a people besieged and beleaguered in every generation. Nazi Germany's but a memory, but in its place the world invented the phantom Palestinians as this generation's internationally authorized Jew killers. Tune in for a different slant on life in Israel. Phantom Nation, every Monday. Hi, I'm Rabbi David Aaron. The soul basics are the most profound, the most essential, and yet often the most neglected in our education. Join me for Soul Talk on Israel's News Talk Radio and discover the secrets to love, spiritual growth, and personal power. You're listening to The Jay Shapiro Show. We're back with Jay Shapiro. Itamar Marcus is a former American living here in Israel who's the director of the Palestinian Media Watch. And he really studies what's happening in the Palestinian Authority down to the smallest details. He recently put out a book called Deception, uh, which tells you what's really happening that doesn't get the headlines in the Palestinian Authority. He came out with some information, which I want to share with the listeners, which is the following. Over the last decade, foreign aid to the Palestinian Authority has plummeted by more than 90%. According to the financial reports published by the Palestinian Authority, in the first 10 months of 2011, This is uh, 10 years ago. The Palestinian Authority had received 2,605 billion shekels, that's the Israeli currency, in international aid. 2,605 billion. By the end of October 2017, the aid had dropped by almost 50%. As of the end of October, just a month and a half ago, foreign aid to the Palestinian Authority has dropped to just 224 million shekels, half of which was received during the month of October itself. So what's happened in what's happened in 2011 till now? because this plunge in financial support for the Palestinian Authority. 
Now, the the foreign aid to the Palestinian Authority reached its peak in 2011. The chairman of the authority, Mahmoud Abbas, who's still the chairman, took advantage of the surplus in foreign revenue to get a huge salary hike to the Palestinian terrorists in Israeli prisons. He raised the salaries of the Palestinian terrorists in Israeli prisons by hundreds of percent. And he was proud of his achievements, so Abbas, the media provided extensive details of the terrorist salaries, which reached as high as 12,000 shekels a month, which is more than three times the average Palestinian salary and bigger than the average Israeli salary. In other words, you made more being a terrorist and an Israeli prisoner than anywhere else in Palestine or Israel. So now what happened was that the media watch under Itamar Marcus recognized this abuse of donor funding and released a series of reports to the international community, first in the United States Congress and then in European parliaments, and they exposed the full scope of what later to be known as the pay-for-slave policy. The Palestinian Authority terror rewards include high salaries to terrorist prisoners, guaranteed lifetime salaries and positions in the Palestinian Authority for released terrorists, and monthly lifetime allowances to the families of dead terrorists and to wounded terrorists. Hundreds of millions of dollars were flowing each year from the donor countries to the Palestinian Authority and was given to the terrorists in order to incentivize and reward terror. It was European donor money being paid to terrorists. So, of course, the international donors, when they found out about it, got kind of angry. Uh, the, um, the documentation produced by Gitamar Marcus uh, showed them that, that they showed the European countries that the taxes paid by their citizens and given to the Palestinian Authority and foreign aid were being misappropriated to reward terror. Donor countries then condemned the Palestinian Authority and demanded it cancel its salary awards to terrorists. But the Palestinian Authority refused. So what happened was, these donor countries, primarily in Europe, started to cut back their aid. Some cut it off uh, entirely. In 2015, the U.S. administration of President Barack Obama passed legislating cutting U.S. aid to the Palestinian Authority by the same amount that the Palestinian Authority rewarded its own convicted terrorists. In the United States, there's something called the Taylor Force Act, with TFA, which was named after an American uh, veteran visiting Israel who was killed by a terrorist. 
It raised the stakes, conditioning the vast majority of USA to the Palestinian Authority on abolishing terror reward payments. Following the United States, the Netherlands and Australia cut off all funding to the Palestinian Authority. In parallel, the Israeli parliament passed legislation deducting the amount the Palestinian Authority paid to terrorists from the taxes Israel collects and gives to the Palestinian Authority. As a result, the Palestinian Authority has lost over $600 million of potential aid from the U.S. alone. Uh, the, 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 the finance minister in Israel shows that the implementation of the Israeli law has so far cost the Palestinians over 1.4 billion shekels. In other words, the, the foreign countries have been convinced to stop paying the Palestinian Authority money that the Palestinian Authority gives to reward terrorism. Now ask yourself an interesting question. What would happen if the Palestinian Authority would stop incentivizing terror and stop rewarding terrorism? The Palestinian economy would enjoy a fourfold windfall. They would save the estimated 700 million to a billion shekels it pays annually to terrorists and their families. Next, the U.S., the Netherlands, Australia, and others would cut funding would be able to renew their aid to the Palestinian Authority bringing in hundreds of millions of additional dollars. Israel could stop implementing the law, and therefore the coffers of the Palestinian Authority would get 600 million shekels annually. And finally, if the Palestinian Authority stopped promoting terror, uh, investment activity in the Palestinian Authority could potentially really take off. With the additional income, the Palestinian Authority could build hospitals, provide better care for the Palestinian needy, reform its school curriculum by removing the hatred of Israel and the terrorist promotion. There are a lot of worthy causes that could be used by all the extra money that the Palestinian Authority would get simply by, by stopping the payment to terrorists. However, I guess you could say sadly, the Palestinian Authority has shown not no interest in whatsoever for the peace or prosperity of the Palestinian people. They, they prefer to stick to the path of aspiring to destroy Israel and rewarding terror. That the... Uh, as a matter of fact, Abbas, the head of the Palestinian Authority, said even if they were left with just one penny, it would be paid to the terrorists. So, you know, it's interesting. If they would stop doing so, they'd be, they could be, stop being an aid-dependent pariah into a healthy, peace-promoting, uh, uh, peace-promoting country. Instead of begging the world to keep paying to donate money so it could have resources to reward terrorists, 
They could be on their way to growth and prosperity instead of looking for handouts. Or, or even they could use some of the money for buying vaccines for the, from the European countries. So what's happening is that the, a, the Palestinian Authority was, is, and apparently will remain to be a terrorist group. This is the group that Israel is expected to make peace with. And you can't expect a Palestinian Authority leadership to be good to Israel when it doesn't even want to be good to its own people. That is the nature of the Palestinian Authority that we have to deal with. It's important to keep this in the headlines so we know who we're dealing with, we're being pressured over and over again to make all kind of um, uh, agreements with the Palestinian Authority. They are simply a gang of mafia-like terrorists that doesn't even care about their own people. Till next time, Jay Shapiro signing off. Israel News Talk Radio's chat room. Just click the orange button at the top of the IsraelNewsTalkRadio.home page, log in as yourself or an anonymous guest, and join in on the fun. You'll meet other listeners from all over the world who listen to Israel News Talk Radio, and you can make new friends. Israel News Talk Radio's chat room. It's the closest you can get to being in the studio with us. We love listening to Israel News Talk Radio. Where can you get the inside news on Israel? At Israel News Talk Radio, we're dedicated to sharing Israel's inside story with the world by providing our listeners with news on Israeli politics, current affairs, and Israeli Jewish culture. The Israel News Talk Radio homepage also provides you, the listener, with useful information at your fingertips with scrolling news headlines, weather, currency exchange, Shabbat candlelighting times, and so much more. Our radio programming is always accessible and on demand. We operate absolutely free of charge for everyone, everywhere. If you love what we do, partner with us now by becoming an Israel News Talk Radio supporter. With your support, you'll be inscribed on our Israel News Talk Radio Wall of Fame. There's nothing like us in the world. Be part of something great. Israel News Talk Radio. Straight talk from Israel. If you love Israel News Talk Radio, then you'll love our Facebook page. We keep you up to date on what's happening in Israel, plus little surprise treasures that we don't share on the radio. Go now to follow us on Facebook. Just look for the Israel News Talk Radio Facebook page and don't forget to subscribe and follow us by clicking on the like button. We post great stuff there that you'll want to share. Israel News Talk Radio on Facebook and Israel News Radio on Twitter. News, opinion, and more. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio.